Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. I'm Michael Rogg from Top Shelf Craft in Texas. And today we have on the man, the myth, the legend from Pixel and Tonic, Brandon Kelly. Hello. Hey. <laughs> How you doing, Brandon? And we got you on here because you released a little something called Craft 3.2, correct? Certainly did. So if you were out doing sl- uh, summer sled dog <laughs> <stuff>. <laughs> you messed up my rhythm. All right. If you, if you were out doing s- summer do sled- you, you write these ahead of time? Like, do you have just like a, of course. a, a random unrelated words generator? I assume he's just cycling through like Mad Libs from junior high or something like that. If you were out doing sled dog racing in the middle of summer in Ketchikan, Alaska, and someone mushed up alongside of you and said, hey, Brandon, what's new in Craft 3.2? What would you tell him? Bonus for correct Um, use of the word mush. (laughs) I didn't even know that word. Come on, man. The dogs are getting getting tired. Yeah. They'd they'd probably love to hear about headless slide preview. All right. Tell us. What and, is Headless uh, Live Preview? Well, it's it's actually the reason for most of the features in Craft 3.2 is we wanted we wanted to achieve headless live preview. Mm. Uh, we've we've started hearing from a lot of people that they've found themselves wanting to do more with headless and the thing holding them back from that was was that you know it didn't have the live preview support for for headless uh, single page apps and stuff like that. Yeah, well, let's tell um, everyone what headless means because we transitioned right from sled dogs to headless, and people yeah, might be well, getting a little worried. So, what does it mean to have a headless CMS? Like, what is that? Yeah, and that's like I don't even know. That seems like a phrase that maybe is going out of fashion, but mm. um, but the the idea of a headless CMS would be like a CMS that doesn't isn't traditional CMS in that it doesn't have any kind of templating component to it, or at least you're not using it. So, like a traditional website built with Craft would be something that you know where you're actually not only managing your content with Craft, but you're also using the Twig templating system. And then your website is literally being driven by Craft. Request goes in to Craft. Craft serves up the template and responds to it based on, you know, whatever template logic you've you've added to it and, and injecting your content into that. So the real, the real point here is that the thing that is managing the content is not also then rendering the page. And yeah, yeah, I mean, right, I've heard... Yeah, so if you're using, you're using Craft as a headless CMS or using any other headless CMS, then the request is hitting something else. It's hitting some kind of view app or, or React or whatever. And that's sending its own Ajax request off to the CMS. CMS gives it back you know, the content, and then it populates the page with the content that way. I've heard all sorts of terms about this. I've heard like renderless CMS. I've heard content API. Like what are the other kind of trendy terms that people are starting to use instead of headless that you've heard? Yeah, I don't know. Like headless still seems to be the thing that people call it, but... It's so I just, morbid. I've seen, I've seen um, <laughs> I don't know, if, I don't know how, how representative of like 
the general population this is, but I know like at least in um, Dean Barker's world, you guys subscribe to Squirrel Notes, you know, he's he's been hearing mumblings of, you know, people don't like the concept headless because it implies that it's missing something as opposed to hmm. just more focused. Sure. And in Kraft's case, it's awkward because it does have a head, you know, it does have this whole templating <laughs> engine and it's just, it's head optional. So I don't know. I don't know what the right... No heads no required? Here. I've I've kind of taken to calling this sort of thing like a decoupled CMS. Okay. Um, which is, I don't know, not that much more helpful, but... Yeah, I mean, it's still the same problem like you have, and it's decoupled optional. You know? yeah. but, but I guess it really it's it sort of points to the trend that what we conceptualize as a website is kind of getting a lot more broad and a lot more complex than it was a few years ago when a CMS just cared about rearranging some things from a database and spitting out HTML that was going to get consumed by a browser. Like now there's so many more ways to consume quote unquote content. You know, it may be a web page or it may be something totally different. It may be your you know, the Alexa on your desk or a podcast app on your phone or, or whatever. And so it, it kind of cleans up the job of the CMS if the job of the CMS only has to be managing the content and something else is consuming the content and yeah. sorting it sorting it into whatever its final form is going to be. And that's and that's kind of always been the reality as long as craft has been a thing is that there's always been mobile apps and there's, you know, other ways that the content could be consumed besides the website. So we've always built craft in a way where like the content is the content and templating was always kind of thought of as this separate component of craft that that you could easily, easily, you know, uh, forego if you didn't need it. And it seems like now we're kind of getting to this point where in addition to the content being consumed by other things like mobile apps and whatnot, now the entire website is also consuming the content in a different way. So it's kind of coming you know, to the point where like, yeah, like future versions of craft are going to, are just going to go further and further in this direction of like craft is, is really focused on the content management and making that distinction more clear. And like, yeah, it has this templating component if you need it, but it's not, it's not the way that we're assuming you're going to be building sites. Yeah. Cause yeah. if you think about it, just the name content management system doesn't really imply <laughs> that right. it's going to be rendering web pages. It implies that it's managing content. And I think the reason why we backed into having CMSs render content is, is there was no other real way to do it back when CMS started being a thing, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So well, and it's still an, enough of a big use case, right? Like it makes sense for craft to do image transforms, even though I'm not using craft to to transform my images, but enough people still are that it makes sense for it to, to do it, but it's also well, not, strictly speaking, content management work. Yeah, sure. And like that's one of those things where like Graph needs image transforms itself for, for right. image thumbnails and stuff mm -hmm. like that within the, you know, to, to create the control panel experience. So, you know, that's like, I don't think we're ever going to ship a version of Graph that doesn't have Twig because there's parts of the control panel. Well, currently, most of the control panel UI is rendered in Twig, but even when that goes away, you know, we're still using Twig for stuff like entry URI formats and title formats and, you know, anything in the control panel where you can kind of create this template that defines other values. If you're using the pre-parse field, for example, by Andre Elvin, you know, you're going to be using Twig to generate some value that has nothing, may not have nothing to do with HTML. 
Sure. But just as a way to kind of like pre-render combined field values and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Templating languages have tons of uses beyond just rendering an HTML page, for sure. Right. And so as long as we had a reason to have Twig within the control panel, we'll still ship it with Twig. There's And there's no harm in just having this layer be an optional layer for you to use on the front end. So you're committing to Twig. We're not going to have a compatibility build of craft and then Twig goes away down the line. Yeah, no, I don't think so. All right, good. That was a deep cut. So if, if Craft 3.1 <laughs> could be considered the project config release, I mean, to some extent, yeah. that was kind of the, the big thing. I guess we could consider Craft 3.2 to be the headless preview release. Would that be fair? Yeah, I mean, there's so much more as far as like what the author is going to see. But headless light preview is certainly the inspiration for everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah, the, drafts, the trick with so much around drafts to me is well, and, and even that yeah. like that was all in service of headless light preview. So basically, like, you know, we got all these you know, requests for it. And the trick was, well, live preview as it worked before was basically as you're typing, craft is sending post requests off to its rendering engine, it takes the post data, it populates an entry in memory, and then it passes that entry back to the template, and the mm. template then renders the entry page just like, you know, as if the entry had come from the database, not right. not being, you know, not really caring where it came from. But that doesn't work if, like, craft isn't the thing that's rendering the page in the first place, which is the case on these these uh, single-page apps and whatnot. So, basically, like, the, the, the way to make it work was we needed to kind of shift the way live preview worked to be more of a draft type of system where as you're typing, we're not posting that data to a live preview page. We're posting it to a draft save request. And the draft is just constantly getting updated with whatever you're typing. And then live preview at that point just becomes a plain old get request saying, hey, give me, you know, give me this entry. Here's a token that tells tells you I get to I get to access this draft you're working on. You know, and then that request could be anything. It doesn't have to be the same. It doesn't have to be a page that craft is running it could be a single page app and then that page app that that thing extracts the token from the query string and forwards it on to the element api request or whatever it is you know as long as whatever request ultimately hits craft has that token then craft is going to inject that draft content into the response so that's kind of the you know the reason we went to this whole draft auto saving workflow um it's the reason we introduced preview uh targets where you can kind of customize which which URLs are available to be live previewed. Because before, if you got live preview, it was only because you were editing an entry that belonged to a section that said it had URLs and, and Craft was kind of managing the URLs for that entry, uh, which again is usually not the case for single page apps. There would not really be any reason to add you know, a URI format to a section that's only going to be only going to be consumed by some single page app. So we needed to add that whole like preview context thing so you could enter custom URLs as well. And So just to know. make it clear for folks that are listening, so the preview target. So we're, we're used to if I got a blog and I hit live preview, I get a preview of the blog page. Right. But with preview targets, you could do something like you could preview the blog page and then you could also switch to the blog index page and you could preview that with your new entry on it. Right. And there's you can have Correct. as many of these things as you want correct so you could you know if you had an archive page you want to show the blog index page maybe there's a version maybe there's like a snippet of the most recent entry that shows up on your home page as well so maybe you include that you can kind of yeah just put whatever you want in there because hmm. they including you know pages that aren't actually run by craft going back yeah. to the original point it, in retrospect it seems like such a much more crafty way to handle this like it it seems like the way it was before certainly was the most common use case but now we've arrived at the way it always wanted to be in the spirit of craft sure. and and sort of the atomic structured way that craft stores data like 
like it seems like like this feature has kind of found its true essence now, which I, I think is cool. I think you're right. And and maybe to, to uh, paint a more clear picture here, like the original light preview implementation happened over the course of about two hours, about two days before Craft 1.0 was released on a whim. <laughs> Um, it was kind of one of those moments where I was just, uh, sitting on the couch, like, and all of a sudden had this, like this, uh, realization, like, I don't know where my brain was at at the time, but I had this random realization, like, Hey, I bet we could implement that light preview feature we've been thinking about just, you know, like it occurred to me at the moment, like how we could do it in a really simple way just to get it in there. It's something we'd wanted to be doing. It was on the, it was on the to-do list for a while, but like, weren't really sure how we were going to build it. And it was kind of this last minute, like light bulb moment where, I realized uh, there was this really simple way we could get it implemented for now, but it was never it was never implemented originally, like in a like oh this is definitely the right way to do it. Yeah, because back when know, we like, when we interviewed you on Dev Mode episode number one, I mean one of the ooh. things you yeah, one of the things you told us about was <laughs> one of the 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 main motivations for you wanting to make your own CMS is you were using another CMS at the time looked you into impl- live preview. Yeah, you wanted a live preview, and you're like, ah, they really need to build a whole CMS for this to actually work. Yeah, and then you're just on, <laughs> on and then you're just on your couch, and you're you're like, huh, you know, the right. whole reason well, why I built so- this thing, maybe I should implement it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it was like, you know, it was probably like a constant thing I was thinking about at the time, but but we didn't actually up until a couple of days before 1.0 launch, we didn't actually have a plan on how to do it and we were just assuming it's something we would tackle later. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a nice light bulb moment of like, hey, here's a quick way to get it in now. But again, it was just it was never up until now to to Michael Rogg's point, it was never implemented in like a what's the right way to do this up until Craft 3.2. And so. to go along with all of this, as you mentioned, you had to implement the entry draft. So you also have an autosave built into it now, right? Where just kind of as you're going along, it will automatically save this thing for you? Yeah, that's that's kind of the, the whole system. Yeah. yeah. So like even if even if um, you're not editing a draft, when you go to an entry and you start typing, it'll create a draft for you automatically. Uh, and yeah, then it'll start really auto-saving to, to that draft. Yeah. And this leads to my favorite feature and I'm probably the only one that this is going to be my favorite feature that's in Craft 3.2. But you add... No, no. no. Tons, tons of people no. are going to love that. That's, that's definitely my favorite feature. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get to that. But, but no, the, the fact that there's a max revisions config setting. So mm. I go in, like whenever I... It's mostly for my own sites. Every time I create a new section, I turn the, just the versioning off. Right. Because I'm because it just grows, <laughs> it grows and grows and grows and there's no cap. And then you have to you would have to set up like a cron task to go in there and, you know, d- and empty it out and all that kind of stuff. But now because you've got the auto saving in there, you probably needed to have some kind of an upper bounds on this stuff. So now I can set max revisions and it'll only save like the last five if I want and automatically empty the other ones out. That's correct. Each time you add a new revision, it'll ensure that that's that you their total number of revisions is within that number. Yes. Um, What's the default? And that's something that's been a feature request forever. Yeah. And kind of along the same spirit as this live preview enhancements, like the draft system in Craft was never meant to be like the right the the long term draft system. That was another thing that was kind of coded quickly, actually on the way on a plane ride to a conference where we were going to initially demo blocks at the time. You seem to do everything on a plane, Brad. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's everything happens before some kind of event, whether it's a release or a, you know, or an event or you know, all the fun it's, stuff happens right then. It's the combination like, of adrenaline and uninterruptibility. And and yeah, and the adren- to the adrenaline's point, yeah, you're right. Like it's because you know, like right before you're showing something off in a demo or you're 
releasing something, you know that's the moment we're going to get all these eyeballs, right? Right. And so I think that kind of inspires you to like push a little bit further. Like what's one more thing we can get in that would just be really cool? And it's the best time to do it too, because by that point, usually all the big stuff is kind of wrapped up and you've got some time to kill before before you actually release it or you, you demo it. So Yeah, and the, and the shoddy internet doesn't hurt. Just not being bothered as much because everything is a little bit more painful to do. I've always found just, I, I'm productive on a plane, but... Yeah. Unless, unless I need to run a composer update. Yeah. Or <laughs> and, NPM install. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then it's, for me, it's, it's especially like, like I'm a real big guy. And so, and so like I, if, if it's relatively affordable, I will always opt for first class if I can. Like if it's within. Andrew is chuckling at that remark. If it's within a few hundred <laughs> bucks. And, uh, and so that's the other side of it too, is if I, if I can score on a cheap, relatively cheap first class ticket then i feel like okay well i'm giving myself this extra comfort so my knees don't hurt at the end of the flight Mm. but what do i what do i owe to the company to to, uh you know justify this extra expense and so you gotta gotta get the laptop out and and make sure you're working as much as you can on that flight are we are we talking about those fancy like little egg pods you know when you're flying international no i've never done that (laughs) Well, it's actually really funny. So I went on a, a trip and the kids were with us and I managed to get myself and my kids and also my wife upgraded to first class for that flight. But we also had our, our uh, her sister and brother-in-law and their kids, right? Shows you the personality. One kid was just like, oh, I feel bad. You know, I really want to, to bring them up here with me. And the other kid was just <laughs> like, ah, this is awesome. You know, it sucks for you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's get back to features that, that people actually care about. So, I mean, my personal one, I really wanted that Max version. So I think that's fantastic. But you mentioned something about element index pagination. So, I mean, Brandon, is it true? Was this release codenamed Masuga? <laughs> <laughs> there was uh, there was certainly um, some Masuga influence in this release <laughs> between, the, between the pagination and the uh, the entry count next to it. Ooh. <laughs> so tell us, how does it work now? So it, the way it used to work is you had this infinite scroll thing. So you'd go to a, a section and if you had a thousand entries, you would just have to scroll down, right? To see more. Right. And and now what's, what is the change? How does it work now? It's just pretty much traditional pagination now. Each page is 50 entries or elements, whatever element you're looking at. The, the reason we've not done it until now is because we have a better idea. Hmm. Um, and, and in fact, it's, it's like, like, especially when you consider structure sections or category groups where you have to show this hierarchy, right? Pagination does not work well in those scenarios because sure. you can't see what the parent is now because it's on the previous page. You can't really drag between things because they're on the previous page. And like, we couldn't come up with like a good UI for that. So so we, um, our grand grand idea eventually we want to get to is you go to the page and, and you actually get a scroll bar that's equivalent to what it's going to be if all entries were loaded, right? And then basically just lazy load in whatever entries you're, you're currently scrolled to. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to jump to the bottom, you could just move that scroll bar down to the bottom and craft starts pulling in those bottom entries right then and there. Hmm. So that's kind of like our grand, like eventually we want to get to that. Um, probably won't happen until we 
switch the whole control panel over to like a view app or something right and have a good opportunity to to really switch things up and so in the interim like structure sections and category groups when you're viewing it by the by the hierarchy you do still get that same lazy loading you know 50 entries at a time ui but since we're not going to get around to the grand vision for you know probably another couple of years it made sense we kind of relented at some point and decided <laughs> we might as well at least get pagination in for everything else that wasn't necessarily holding us back. And this 50, this number of entries per page, is that a config setting somewhere or is that hard code? It's it's not right now. No one's ever asked about it. So <laughs> all right. Masuga's Masuga is like typing a PR waiting to, to happen. If you're listening, yeah, Masuga, go ahead and file an issue on the, the <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it, it's the same number we lazy loaded uh before right. and, and continue to in the structure sections and whatnot. So we just kind of went with that again for for entries, I mean, we could maybe move it to 100 or, or add some kind of drop down. How many, you know, choose choose the number. I don't right. know. I haven't looked. Is it just using Craft's paginate tag? It, it sort of is. Um, a recent Craft 3.1 update sort of moved most of the paginate tags logic to a to a different class, to a new, like, I think it's actually called paginate class or something. So the same core logic that paginate tags use is being used here as well. Very cool. And, you know, we've got a number of other pretty cool features that are, have been added in here. I was actually surprised at the number of, and some of them are small, but they actually make a really big difference. So one example was you can actually sort the element index by custom fields, which yeah. I, I think that's fantastic. Like there's so many cases where I've wanted to be able to sort by something other than some of the built-in uh, schema fields, and I've been unable to do it. You always could, but you had to to hit the little hook to add a sortable attribute. If right. someone the plug-in for a while that would do it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was a, right. it was one of those things that people have been asking for. For I mean, like we've got what, like seven hundred or nine hundred <laughs> issues, like feature requests on GitHub. So sure. there's a million little things like that that you know we could get to at any point. And so you know each release, whenever we have time to kill, we'll just look through and try and find some of that low hanging fruit and get it in there. So in this case, that one won out this time. It was it was a quick change. Is you know we had to add a new interface called I think sortable. Elm interface that element, or I'm sorry, sort, sortable field interface that field types that are sortable need to implement now. Right. Once they add that implements sortable field field interface at the top of the class, then they become sortable. And we kind of needed to do that because you wouldn't necessarily want to sort by like a plain text field or you know matrix field. Where I don't even know where you'd start with that one. You know, it's it kind of only makes sense for things like drop down and checkbox and you know things where there's an obvious uh, list of, of possible values. Yeah, and a, a, another quality of life improvement that I think a lot of people that are used to or, or part of their business is making sites that have either uh, multi-site or multi-locales is multi-site element queries, right? So now you, you can query elements across multiple sites in one query, right? Yes. Yeah, that the story there was um, Craft 3.1 added this new setting to sections called uh, it's a checkbox. It says propagate entries uh, across all sites, mm -hmm. and then you could opt into it or, or not. But basically, the, the when you save an entry in that section, whether that entry ends up getting saved across all of the section sites or just the one that you saved the entry in was kind of determined by the value of that setting. So as of Craft 3.1, we started seeing more. People obviously doing that, taking advantage of the setting where now they could create sections that are that are enabled for multiple sites, but whose entries are always only going to be in either site A or site B, but not both. And then someone pointed out, you know, when they do this, it's not really possible to create a search that goes that looks at all sites and kind of 
you know, scores the entries in one batch, in one go across multiple sites. And that was kind of a pretty good argument for why we needed we needed some way within the element query parameters to say, I want you to look across all sites, not just one. Yeah, now you just do dot site and you can put in either one ID or an array of IDs, right? Yeah, well, yeah, so the site parameters for handles, so you could pass one or multiple handles or you could just add an asterisk and then mm. that'll basically say across all the sites. Right. Uh, and then there's also a site ID parameter that's the same thing, but for IDs. Got it, yeah, sorry. Um, I meant- also supports the asterisk. Yeah. And I then mean- there's like, There's a couple other parameters that we added alongside that. Like once you're querying across multiple sites, then like what happens if you do have an element that exists across multiple sites that's enabled for, you know, saved to three different sites? Do you want all three of those back? In some cases you might, because maybe you want to create like a quick little navigation, you know, jump to this entry in the other sites, you know, drop down. Right. right. And so you just want to say like craft.entries.id is whatever the current entry ID is, dot site ID is, is asterisk dot all or dot site ID is, you know, every site, but the one that we're looking at and then create that dropdown. So in that case, you would want these kind of duplicate responses back just, just with different sites. But in other cases, like a search, you might, you might want to extract any duplicate, uh, duplicate entries. You might just want all the unique entries. And so, uh, the default behavior is that you get everything and there's a new unique parameter called, called unique, which will ensure that you're only getting one entry or one unique or each each entry is unique in the results. And then there's a third ad parameter we added called prefer sites. And that kind of lets you determine what the order of preferential treatment the site should get when there's when there are duplicates that exist. Yeah. So that that's the real kicker for, for yeah. me. For, for when I use this feature, the ability to prefer a current site yeah, or something so you can, is you can, be yeah, and, and the default behavior is that you'll always get the current site back first if if that does exist. Mm-hmm. But there's cases I think where you know you might you might always want to specify here's the exact order of sites that I want back. You know, go with go with the entry in site A if it's there, go with entry in site B if it's not an A, etc. Yeah, super dope. I love that. Localization's fun. <laughs> Yeah, when I think about all of the time that I spent trying to get like a, a language switcher between elements working properly. <laughs> I... <laughs> it's easier now. Uh, thanks, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, it's easier now. And actually, it's one of those things where the amount of work for multi-site element queries was, it was maybe a couple days, maybe maybe two or three days and to get it all right. Well, two or three Brandon and- days, right? The Brandon days are like dog years, you know? <laughs> what Brandon does in two or three days is what we do in two or three weeks, okay? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, it was one of those things, though. Once I was done and, like, I started going through the code base, there were so many spots where I got to, like, drastically clean up the code base thanks mm. to multi-site element queries that I was kicking myself by the end of it. Like, why the hell didn't we just do this to begin with? Like, yeah. all of these times, like, it didn't <laughs> yep. even... The thought didn't even cross my mind. Like, hey, I've been doing this stupid hack 10 times. Like, why don't I just solve this at the element query level? Uh, didn't even occur to me until now, until that, after it was done. That is one of my favorite parts of programming is when I'm going yeah. in there and I'm just tearing stuff out. I'm like, God, I was an idiot. Like, this is why am I, <laughs> I can make this so much better. You know, I love that. I, I don't know what it yeah. is, but there's something about that that I find really appealing. And probably it's a similar character trait, like people that really enjoy like landscaping and pulling out weeds and stuff like that. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, it is kind of how you end up thinking about it. I mean, like there, there is code that, that does just feel like that. Like it didn't feel good to write it to begin with and it mm, feels great to delete it. Exactly. So. Exactly. You've got the, I have the same thing. Like you got this slight revulsion when you're writing it and you're just like, ah, but it's good enough. <laughs> yeah. Gets, gets the job done. Yeah. But I, I also think that's, that is the mark of a good 
programmer or like that I'm making progress in my programming is if things that I wrote two weeks ago just look awful to me now and i'm like God, what was what was two, two weeks, weeks ago, ago how quickly are you what learning was, yeah I what need... was two weeks ago michael thinking like what an idiot <laughs> I, I need then, a year it feels good. <laughs> michael you may need two weeks but i need a year like if i if i look at something i did a year ago and think it sucks then i'll be like all right you know i'm learning on this that's good but two weeks man wow that's crazy and we're gonna have to talk about rog years now <laughs> 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 for me, for me, if it's if it's two weeks ago and I have this this thing, then I'll usually try and rewrite it. Realize I did it for a reason, and then revert and add a comment. Right? Yeah, sure. That, Don't, that does happen to me. I know well. this looks yeah. stupid, but it's but it's the right way to go. <laughs> this may seem crazy, but here's the reason why it's done this way. Yeah, for sure. And that's what comments are for, right? Is to let yourself know, yes. like. What, what's yeah, going on? Teach yourself. I'm Your not stupid. Was, was aware that this is dumb. Here's why. Totally. Totally. I do that all the time. I think that's hilarious. But there are some other improvements in here too, right? So there are some... Um, I, I want to know why you decided to add the uh, DD tag. So Craft has always had this dump command that if you're in dev mode, you could dump a variable and, and see what is in there. And then you added mm-hmm. the DD tag, which I guess is analogous to the PHP craft DD, but, but why an extra it, tag? It, like what's it's it a, for? It's an alias for that. Cause, um, cause Laravel did it. Did, <laughs> Laravel didn't, do they have like I'm a kidding. thing? The, the original craft DD PHP function was inspired by Laravel for sure. Right. Someone posted a GitHub issue saying, Hey, I, I use this in Laravel all the time. Can I have it here? For Twig, so you're right. There, there's always been the dump tag. Right. The dump tag only works in dev mode, first of all, right. um, because it's it's supplied by Twig's debug extension, which they recommend only running in development environments. Um, so we said, okay, fine. We'll check to make sure dev mode's enabled first, and then we'll go ahead and register this extension. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the main reason we added it wasn't wasn't so you could start using DD in production because we also don't think that would be a good idea. It was it was because a recent Twig update started outputting all rendered templates into an output buffer OB start. Uh, and then only once the template is done being rendered does it clear the output buffer and and you know return the results hmm. and i guess this was a way to ensure that you know for example headers don't get sent before they were expected to and stuff like that and that seems like kind fine. of a major change yeah and and uh that's fine but someone <laughs> was bit by this change because they were using the dump tag followed by an exit tag as kind of a dump and die, you know, yeah. replacement, uh, within their twig templates. And that wasn't possible anymore because, you know, now this exit tag comes that throws an exception, you know, basically throws like a 404 exception or whatever. Yep. And the error handling for that never, never clears the output buffer and, and outputs it. You know, it just kind of lets, lets the output buffer get, you know, become deleted. So we really, so first of all, we needed to update the dump and die, the craft DD function to ensure that all output buffers have been cleared. And then secondly, make that, make that accessible from Twig with this new DD function. It's kind of a way to continue doing the same thing this guy was doing in a more precise, you know, concise way. So what happens if I do use the DD tag? In production, because I can think of two behaviors, mm-hmm. and I and I can think of sometimes I might want one, and sometimes I might want the other. So what happens? It's it just does it. It doesn't it just care does whether it. you're in dev mode or not. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I could also think of cases where maybe I would want it to automatically not, but then that's kind of sloppy in some ways too. You know, if Leave we it. could add a DD if dev function. <laughs> DD if dev. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, for little things like this, you can just say, all right, we'll add a config setting. <laughs> Do whatever you want. 
Yeah, um, I mean, like, I guess, you know, the long-term solution would be things like your your IDE should be able to warn you about usage of this. Like, Oh, yeah. Like uh, PHP Storm. I don't know if it's the default PHP Storm functionality or if it's thanks to the PHP Inspections plugin. But either way, at least for, for me, like, if I've got an, an, exit ta- an exit call or a die call somewhere in my code, I actually get, like, a big warning about it. You know, I think they might even treat it as, like, an error, like, error-level warning. Yeah. Huh. You know, just as a reminder, like, this should not stick around in your code for long kind of thing. And I feel like that would be, you know, something that maybe could be extended to the DD tag or even even calls to the craft DD function. So we've also got another templating improvement that I know a number of people were excited about. And it comes from, uh, it's a PR, I think, from Tim Kelty, right? The attribute command, ATTR? Yeah. Yeah, that's a cool one. That I actually wasn't familiar with that helper method up until the PR, but it's a really cool function. We, you know, eventually might might comb through the craft uh, control panel code and see if we could start using that anywhere. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I can think with Tailwind and a whole bunch of other ways where you have a bunch of classes you want to load in. For anyone who hasn't taken a look yet, and I, I don't think it's in the documentation yet, so maybe we'll link it's, to the. It's uh, there, but it's uh, it's light. But yeah. Yeah, we can either link to that or to the pull request uh, that he had sent in, but it's terrific. You you can set a twig object and then everything that would normally be an HTML attribute, your classes, styles, data tags, uh, and every everything, it'll it'll you can package it all up into a twig tag, use true or false as to whether or not it should be exposed. Um, and, and then you can just output that all into your div all in one line with you know, Yeah, it's, it's key, really yeah. It's really clever because you know there's certain you know html is such a loose mm-hmm. markup language you know so there's some attributes where you don't even give them a value you know like uh, disabled or whatever you know and then there's there's all the data attributes which you know like if i were writing this thing i probably you know would have just expected that you know if you have data attributes you just need to add them as as properties that are data dash whatever but they've they've gone above and beyond, and yeah. and this helper actually like you can pass in just an, a data array, uh, like a key that's an array or an object called data, and just have a bunch of key value pairs inside them, and then they'll always just they'll all just get combined into each you know unique uh, data dash foo data dash bar attribute, which is really cool. And then and then whether whether the value is boolean, you know, if the value is boolean and false, then it just doesn't show up. I think if it's boolean mm-hmm. and true, then it'll then it'll get added as an attribute that doesn't have a value. And if it's set to anything besides a bool, then it'll it'll set it to you know attribute equals value kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So really cool. Yeah, it's yeah definitely one where people look and it, it's a, it looks like a really small thing. It's just one filter, but I think it could change a lot of how people template. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. I mean, for anyone that's not familiar with this, it, it's a ATTR. Is the, it's a function called ATTR. So, mm-hmm. and you just pass in pass in an object from there. And I shockingly, I was familiar with this just because of some of the plumbing that I've been doing in the Yee helper stuff for the various HTML helpers and stuff. And I never had thought, but I had never had thought about using it in Twig. But I mean, you're right. It it ends up being like super helpful. <laughs> it ends up being really nice yeah. and simplifies a lot of your code and gets rid of a lot of nonsense. But hey, do you remember uh, Google? I don't even know if they still have it, but when you would search for stuff, um, there would be an I'm feeling lucky button. Yeah. Is that still there? Is that still a thing? No, because now now whenever you start typing in the search, you're immediately taken to results as you're typing. Yeah, that's a bummer. Mm. Um, well, Brandon, this is a are you feeling lucky kind of thing, because what I'm going to do, I'm, I'm starting it now. Um, the, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just Uh going to, the devmode.fm website, I've bumped up the Semver to craft 3.2.0 and I'm, I'm doing it like I'm doing it live. Okay. 
I'm doing it live. We're updating this thing to 3.2 live. And then I'm just going to blindly push it to production without testing anything. <laughs> on, the, on the call right now, huh? On the call. All right. So I mean, I would say that this is a, a, my experience so far. Uh, if you have plugins that deal with drafts or live preview, hmm. you may want to take a pause. But otherwise, this is a pretty clean update that, so far as I've seen. You know, three dot one had a lot more. Yeah, with like project config it's, had a lot more under the hood changing. But it's a pretty safe update. We we've already bumped craftcms.com up to it. No issues there. Yeah, I mean, like I think you know, like verb workflow would be an example if you're using that. You might want to hold off. I'm not sure if they've released an update yet or not. There's some issues with um, Neo. I heard some people talking about some issues with Neo. Okay. Yep. Um, Super Table, I can confirm yep. Super Table's fine because we use that and we haven't had any issues and ended up testing that a bit during the beta pre- process anyways. Yeah. Yeah, we found Site Duplicate, which lets you kind of clone an entry from one site into another if they're not already propagating. Yeah, that relies on some some revision stuff. So I think anything okay. that relies on revisions, there's a possibility. But if mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's worth yeah, definitely a yeah. Yep. Well, I am not going to do that. <laughs> and everyone who's listening like please don't do this at home because it's it's stupid (laughs) like don't do it but it it has finished so it did it went through the whole thing and it everything looks like it's updated and um did it deploy did you or did you do it right on the server i I haven't deployed it yet all right version three point what craft 3.2.0 oh here we go here goes here comes the the commit and here comes the push (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and good luck. good luck everybody okay it's pushed the the ci stuff is going to do its deployment okay so de- wednesday afternoon yeah <laughs> yeah so dev mode is now running craft 3.2 in one fashion or another it may be <laughs> there may be an error up there i have no Run idea maybe may a, 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 a generous word all right well let's see what happens no oh my goodness Oh my goodness. Oh, 503. No, no. <laughs> All right, hold on. Let's just make sure. It's for compelling radio. <sighs> yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. I know. I just had to do it. Oh, no. Okay, we're good. Like, we're up and running Craft 3.2, and there's, I see no issues. Like, everything loads, everything works. We're good to go. So, for All anyone, right. and, and I literally did not test any of this. I will admit <laughs> that in my own testing, I, I do have a, a test environment for Craft 3.2 and I've done plugin testing and stuff like that all along. So I was, I was reasonably confident that we'd be okay. I, I see uh, what you're doing here, mm. uh, Andrew, What's is, that? is you're setting us up. This is, this is actually a very clever segue mm-hmm. into the feature of Craft 3.2 that I'm most excited about. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and what is the feature of Craft 3.2 that you are most excited about, Michael? Well, it would be the new testing framework, of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So for anyone who's not, let, let's talk about to people who are not familiar with this kind of testing stuff. And let's start start from a, why would we do this? So Brandon, why would we implement testing at all? For your own sanity, I guess. Like it's, uh, it's nice to know as you're working on things that you're not breaking other things. Right. And... It's much better to find out about that from an automated test that gets run than than a customer or a site visitor that is hit by a bug later on. Yeah, and so and Michael is exactly correct. Like part of the reason for me doing this YOLO deploy kind of thing is <laughs> is that if I did have a CI tool set up that uh, that leveraged the testing that is now available in Craft 3.2, it would have been in that pipeline. It would have tested it. 
right? And it never would have deployed it. It never would have even gotten to deployment in that case, right? And we could have tests to make sure that, you know, certain text appears on certain pages and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, there's, I mean, there's, testing is kind of a big word, but there's, um, yeah, there's unit testing and, and uh, integration testing and, yeah, we're using a library called Codeception, which is kind of all of the above. And we've got a fair number of unit tests written at this point and some integration tests in place as well, which basically spin up like a WebKit view, you know, headless WebKit or something like that and click around, verify that they're getting the responses they're looking for and stuff like that. Yeah, so for, for um, people that have never heard of or done any kind of testing, so there are a couple couple different layers that I think you might consider. And, you know, one is just you can have just a test environment so that the, it will spin up craft. And if something just plain doesn't work, like it will halt the deployment. Right. So that's that's a very basic. You're not really doing anything other than, you know, making sure that the thing runs. Um, mm-hmm. But then, as you mentioned, you can do uh, integration testing and acceptance testing and stuff where someone can make sure that certain things appear on the page and that if a certain thing is clicked on, something actually happens. So for websites that are critical in that matter, you can build these tests out. And you can run them automatically when you do a deploy and you can feel really comfortable that it's going to work <laughs> because the deployment just won't even happen in- until that deploy has has happened. And I think, or sorry, that test has happened and it's right. passed. And then there's another aspect of this, which is something that, you know, we did a plugin developer cabal talk uh, on here a while ago. And <laughs> can't speak about the cabal. <laughs> and a lot of us mentioned, you know, oh, we're not really doing that much with testing because we really want craft to give us a test bed for doing this now here we are right here we are we've got we've got a full testing framework built into craft we've got example tests written within the code base that would mostly be applicable to plugins but then we've also got a new tests slash setup controller action or i'm sorry console command action that you can run on a per project basis to actually create a basic testing framework for your craft project Mm. and so you can actually be testing your project as well in addition to using you know, the code bases that are, that have been tested. So it's pretty cool. And we've, you know, there's documentation on it to kind of get you started. Uh, and then there's also, if you're going to get into it, there's a new testing channel within the craft discord server at craftsimus.com slash discord that you can, you can get in and ask questions and get help as, you know, we as a community are all kind of starting to embark on this journey into test driven development and whatnot. Yeah. And I've been, I want to say I've been working with, uh, I'm probably going to pronounce his name wrong, Gail? Gil. Gil? Okay. Yeah. I want to say I've been working with Gil, but I really haven't. Like, he's been doing the work. <laughs> like, I've been doing anything. <laughs> um, he's, he's amazing. I mean, he, so he's, uh, he's out of South Africa, and he, he did 90% of the testing work wow. uh, in Craft 3.2. And, yeah. Did a great job. He's he's and he's continuing to the, as soon as he kind of wrapped that up and he moved on to implementing other random pull requests, addressing other issues that uh, haven't even made it in yet. Like like by the time he started getting into this, we were already in the RC phase, so it's just right. too late to get anything into three point two. Right. But you know, within the next week or two, we'll probably get an alpha one of Craft three point three out with you know half half of the features in there being being his own work. Uh, so he's he's been a, amazing amazing contributor for for the craft 
community yeah uh, that, in the that, last in the last few months that's fantastic so i mean what he's been doing is we we had a, a little bit of a discussion about this and he has been working on a pull request for a plugin factory so that when you generate a new plugin you're going to get tests like built in like a little hmm. scaffolding so that people who've never done this stuff before like at least here's a little bit of a starter thing in terms of like okay here's how you might set up these various tests to do it which i think is is absolutely fantastic and then the other thing that I should mention is that Ryan Ireland has also done a tutorial video on creating your first test in Craft CMS over on CraftQuest. So I think that's pretty cool too. I mean, all these education materials are super important when you're getting people up to speed on something that, you know, maybe they've never really done much with it before, you know, as a, as a web developer. But the Codeception tests, I mean, they allow you to do a decent bit of what you would do in a tool like Selenium or, God, I can't remember the name of it. There's another tool that allows you to do this kind of stuff where pages will actually render and it will look at what's on the page and you can simulate right. clicking on it and you simulate typing stuff in and submitting forms and make sure that the correct result comes back and all that stuff. And it's it actually lets you do some pretty amazing stuff. It's pretty cool for sure. And it, you know, kind of replaces that manual component as well. Like if you're, if you're cl- doing some basic clicking around anyways, you might as well just automate it. Right. Right. Do it once, <laughs> right. write the automation script once and then just sleep, you know, know, know that, know that that's going to run every time you do anything in the future. Yeah. Because any, just about any engineer would much rather, you know, write a test that will do it automatically than, than yeah. randomly <laughs> click around in a brow in a browser. You know what I mean? <laughs> Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So what are, uh, do we miss out on any of these other new fee? I mean, honestly, like I'm really impressed with a number of these quality of life improvements. So, I mean, there are other things in here like related element violate, uh, validation, right? So that if I have an asset yeah. and someone adds it in, adds the asset in, but I required on that asset that it have alt text to it because I care about accessibility, people can't save that entry now, right? Yeah, and that's like, that's one of those things, again, it's been like a long-term feature request, but like in our heads, we were overcomplicating it. You know, Mm. we've been thinking like the way to solve this would be at the point of upload where, Mm. you know, you can't, you can't actually upload something and have it be committed to become an asset element until it's met the, the, the validation criteria. And the solution there would have been some convoluted UI where you can't just drag files into craft anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you drag them and it opens up a modal window and it's like, at, you know, stored as a temporary file somewhere until you've submitted the content and it's all validated. And then it goes ahead and uploads it to S3 or, you know, commits it to become an asset, whatever it is. Right. That was kind of the thinking, you know, behind like how, how we would potentially solve this one day and who knows when we'd get around to that. You know, it's just, it's not, a, not an easy challenge. So I think it was um, Chris Kennedy in Discord, you know, had like an off the cuff idea one day and it was, it was just like, oh, we're idiots. Why didn't we think of this? <laughs> you know, solve, it, it, who cares, who cares if the asset is valid when it's just sitting in the assets thing? The only time you really care if it's valid or not meets all the you know required field rules and all that kind of stuff is when it's actually being used in the context of an entry. So mm-hmm. why not do this validation as part of the broader entry validation. And once he suggested that, it's like, oh my gosh, we could knock this out in an hour and be done with it. So Yeah, so it's sure like enough, a recursive validation, right? So basically when you're validating the entry, if it's a related thing, then you validate that whole thing. Is that how it kind of works? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just it's just the the assets field or whatever. It works across all relational fields, but you know, obviously the majority of the time you're gonna want it with assets because those are the things that aren't necessarily valid to begin with. But uh yeah, so the assets field, for example, would just 
register a new validation rule on the parent element, whatever that is, saying, you know, when when you're ready to validate the the entry, yeah, we'll just spin up the we'll load the assets that are related and ensure they're validated. If they're not, we'll register uh, a validation error on the entry. And then the only complicated thing that came out of it after we initially released it was someone pointed out this could this could trigger an infinite loop if there was some kind of circular validation going on. <laughs> sure. You know, where the, that related asset or whatever it is was related to some other entry that was related yeah. back to the current one or whatever it was. And if all of them were invalid or, or actually even if they weren't, even if they validated, like there was still, you still had to find out whether they were validated or not. And to do that, it had to find out if the other thing was validated. So it kind of create this like circular infinite loop thing. So we did How'd have to add that? a little bit yeah. of code good complexity to ensure you know to keep track of which elements are already being validated by this thing <laughs> and and not double up on it but with the, the CMS, that they one said little. it'll be easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, it's a drastically simpler solution than, than what we would have come up with. You know, had had we been given enough time to get around to it. That so. it reminds me of uh, like. And I was surprised that this didn't exist because E2 comes with a number of really nice core validators. But I ended up writing a embedded model validator because I needed it for some plugin or something that I was doing where as it was validating the attributes of um, some model, if whatever, if one of the attributes had a thing in it that was an instance of a model, it would then validate that, you know, and go down through it. Mm -hmm. I didn't do anything (laughs) to address any kind of possible recursion or or infinite loop issue in there. So you, you definitely did. Yeah, better. well, and I think most of the time, if you're talking about validating like a direct, like attribute of, yeah. attribute, by the way, of... Attribute, the, um, yes. That is a wonderful attribute that you have. I volunteer as a tribute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Thought? Go ahead. All I right. try. I like the... Uh, the user impersonation feature. I don't oh, think we've yeah. talked about that yet. I could see that. Well, that's always I, been there, but yeah. but we've opened it right, up to non-admins right. now. Yeah, exactly. So uh, one use case I have in mind, and tell me if this is possible, is you have an e-commerce site and maybe you have e-commerce admins who you don't want touching content. So they're in a user group that gives them access to commerce and nothing else, but they may need to log in as a customer or some other user. Mm-hmm. Um, this now, g- maybe even... And maybe even, I don't know if this is kosher, but even you could take an order for someone and log in as them if they have an account and do it over yeah. the phone. You know, in lieu of, you know, at some point, I think there will be the ability to create an order right from the dashboard. But this is one that I think people are going to find a number of different uses for. Yeah, I mean, the only the only thing, like, I got to say is you got you to gotta consider customer privacy. So yep. you yep. shouldn't be just throwing this permission around all over the place. But yes, yeah. But certainly there's there's cases where that would make sense. One one thing we were concerned about and, you know, is the reason we haven't added it until now is is that like it could potentially be a way to um, escalate your own user permissions. If you were to be able to impersonate another user that is an admin or has permissions that you don't have. So we did we did add a check. And so even if you have the impersonate user permissions permission, you're not going to be able to use it for users that have better permissions than you do. Mm. So you won't be able to, you won't be able to impersonate an admin user and you won't be able to impersonate anyone that's, you know, part of a user group or or, you know, or directly has permissions that that you don't have access to. That's the one caveat, but like but like sense. certainly in the scenario you 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 brought up where you've mm-hmm. got, you know, customers that theoretically have zero permissions associated with them, certainly if mm-hmm. you had the impersonate user permission, that would be that would be enough. Mm-hmm. Cool. I, I did have one thing I wanted to mention about the whole validating 
embedded or sorry, related element validation mm -hmm. that you have in there. It got, it got me thinking, like, could you potentially then add a validation rule somehow that the image has to be at least this size or it can't be bigger than this amount? Or is that just not going to happen for yeah, this I type mean, of iteration? Yeah, I mean, there's already versions of that in the assets field. Like you you can say that the assets field is only allowed to, to load images, for example, mm -hmm. um, or to relate images. And that's both enforced in the UI as well as the backend validation. So we could certainly add to that, you know, if you've already selected images or or whatever, if it's an image that's selected, ensure that it's, you know, a certain size. I guess, I don't know what the use case for that would be, because theoretically, whatever the size is, whenever, I guess maybe minimum image size would, be, would make sense. Right. Maximum but, wouldn't really make sense, because you can always transform them back down. Well, there are a couple of cases where you might actually want to do it. So it's more like hmm. client proofing type of thing. So one is, yeah, as you mentioned, obviously, you know, having a minimum size so they don't upload like a, a thumbnail version of something and then it's upscaled and it looks terrible. It's blown right? up to, yeah. But the other is if they upload like, you know, a 10 gigabyte PSD file, Right, And even if you do the transform, like your server can die attempting to even generate the transform yeah. to do that, you know? And especially if you're using image magic, right. Um, right. it gets kind of problematic because image magic can kind of like get itself into this infinite loop where it's just ends up like eating up the entirety of your server's memory and putting right. things on swap disks and stuff. And, right. and it's all handled as a separate process from PHP. So PHP's memory limits won't have any effect on it. Right. So, I, yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a valid point. You know, maybe maybe in the future we'll all just be moving all this logic over to, you know, AWS anyways, though. So we'll yeah. see. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, I, I think that we right. So the AWS serverless image handler type of stuff I did the article right. on, like, it's pretty cool. It's pretty wild. But, you know, there definitely are cases where things need to be done locally. And I, I, the fact that you're able to validate these things, you know, these related things that are added, it just got me thinking that, you know, there might be cases where in an entry, you might add some requirements about the related entry. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. In specific cases. That, and for assets, you know, image size obviously comes to mind. Anyway, I just yeah. wanted to, I just wanted to mention yeah, that. Yeah, it's good. Good idea. Um, I will say at some point in the relatively near future, we want to add condition builders to craft, you know, add like a condition condition builder library right. and then and then implement that on related relational fields. So you would be able to start kind of building your own conditions rather than like it just being another hmm. couple of fields that everyone has to select. Like we could start adding, you know, you just click another plus button and choose a drop down saying like image width and then say Drop down two is greater than and drop or text box three is 300, you know, whatever it is like. Got it. Moving to kind of more of a free form, build your own, build your own validation rules and, and uh, you know, conditions on on what sort of elements are going to be selectable from these relational fields is kind of the direction we're taking them. And that's that's going to work across all entry types for sure. Like that's how or I'm sorry, element types for sure. Like that's how eventually pe people have been asking for the ability to restrict entries fields to just one entry type, for example. Uh, mm -hmm. Rather than just by section, they also want to say by entry type. And so adding like a condition builder where they could just add their own, you know, where where entry type is this or is not that, you know, the problem is it's just like without without adding a full blown condition builder, it's just such a can of worms yet, you know, right. there's always more things people will want. So it makes sense to just give them everything in a way that doesn't annoy everyone. Right. <laughs>
Right. Yeah, and it sounds like this would tie in really well with conditional fields and that people are able to add yep. uh, conditions to, you know, what fields appear when. And then you yeah. would have conditional content, you know, for in order to the content must meet these specifications before it can appear. And you're right. You just give them this generic stuff and you say, go nuts. <laughs> like just, yeah. And then we're going to, you know. I mean, there's a million use cases for it. We right. want to use it for automation type support. We want to use it for element indexes. You could kind of create smart sources of, you know, based on elements that meet specific criteria and, you and know, testing like that, so. and testing. Like if you're adding requirements for a given field, like you can then test to ensure all the content, you know, meets those requirements. Meets yeah. that criteria. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Really cool. Well, Brandon, this has been fantastic having you on here. Uh, just want to make sure Patrick or, or Michael don't have any last minute questions that they want to ask you about craft. CMS 3.2? Yeah, it's a, it's a cool release. I, I, I've only played around with it a little bit. I didn't participate in the beta as much as I probably should have. Um, <laughs> but just starting to edit an entry and seeing that little autosave working is really cool. And, and that's yeah, a pretty easy upgrade. Definitely tr- you know, try it in, in your development build first, but um, this yeah. is not a one, I think, to wait too long on if, uh, no, if it's, you're the type. No, it's a pretty, assuming you've got, you know, as you said, as soon as you know plugins that are that are dealing with, you know, entry revisions and drafts or or mm-hmm. live preview, those are areas where you'd want to check with the plugin developer first or wait yep. until you've seen a compatibility release from them. But yeah, it's it's awesome. It's like, you know, not to toot my own horn, but like, that's that's the reason that craft CMS is already on 3.2 is because I had to write that stupid blog post yesterday <laughs> in craft 3.0. We, were, we hadn't even updated 3.1 yet, but I couldn't, I couldn't like after testing uh, the, the new entry page for so long, yeah. I just couldn't even bear to look at it anymore. <laughs> that's so. so funny. And you're, and you're not pausing. I was on uh, the repo and I already see there's a 3.3 branch out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's, Man. there's nothing on that yet, but there will be <laughs> a, know, um, there will be a PR to that in the next day or so. Cool. Is, well, this is why he's ready to, put in there this is why i love companies that dog food their stuff because there's that annoyance factor people yeah. people that are dog fooding their own stuff they're gonna find this thing that just annoys them and they're gonna be like god damn it like i'm just gonna fix this you know what i mean and, and oh, I, for sure and yeah. and and uh you know the the like a reverse example of that i mentioned we were still on 3.0 and i wanted to move to uh 3.1 for to get project.yaml in, in place because we had some changes we wanted to start making and so while I was going through the hassle of, you know, updating it for 3.2 yesterday, I figured, okay, I might as well enable project.yaml now and in preparation for doing some other site changes. And that, I, I discovered a bug just from doing that. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, it was um, where the changes in project.yaml weren't getting automatically synced because we were pushing them in, you know, cases where there were no pending data, database migrations. Hmm. And apparently, apparently we were only automatically syncing with the app slash migrate command if there were hmm. database migrations available. So oh. if you haven't hosed wish, your website we had... at least once, yeah, with project config, you're not a craft developer. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> well, it didn't hose it. We, we have a staging server and discover things like, cause we're, cause we're responsible developers, but well, hold, hold on. What, what are you saying, Brandon? You, you don't recommend doing what I just did and, and updating everything on a podcast. Yeah, I mean, for websites that no one visits, it's probably fine. Oh, 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 ow. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's, not, going in deep. it's not that no one visits, it's that they only visit the, the amp, amp page. Yeah, yeah. Oh, come on. Oh. This is what iTunes is for and, and you know, all the podcast apps. Oh, that about wraps it up <laughs> oh, for another episode. <laughs> Of the dev mode. It's always FM good podcast. to have on our, our most frequent guest, Brandon Kelly. Thank you, Brandon. Yeah. I think I'm giving up 
podcasting <laughs> and becoming a goat herder in Montana. But in the meantime, <laughs> to have every episode delivered to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our RSS or subscribe via iTunes or Google Play. And if so you like, you don't even list webmode.fm there, huh? Oh man, you didn't even list your website there in this. <laughs> no, 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 no. I do, I do list it. I list it. You're too Everything's eager. Everything's going headless. Yeah. You're, you're over yeah. eager. You, you can follow us on Twitter at devmodefm. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Brandon Kelly, leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website for the devmode.fm podcast. I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Patrick Harrington. I'm Michael Rogg. Brandon Kelly from Pixel and Tonic. Thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks, Brandon. Sure thing. <laughs> thanks. I'm gonna go cry myself to sleep. Brandon, my hat's off to you. That was amazing. It's, it's okay, Andrew, because no one's going to hear, you know, as you know, no one listens to the end. At the end, I know. But that was that was an amazing dig. Like, that, that was beautiful. <laughs> that was a work of art. I, I, oh. I definitely appreciate that. All right.